Okay, well, next Sunday morning, of course, it's Easter Sunday, and uh, I'll be sharing uh, with you on the subject of the resurrection, in particular, uh, the the power of the resurrection, and uh, the power of the resurrection as a reality uh, in each and every one of our lives. And uh, did you know the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in the heart of every believer? It's quite a remarkable truth, quite a mind-blowing truth, and we'll be talking about that uh, next Sunday morning. Uh, But this morning, we're going to continue on in the book of Acts, because we need to finish off what we began last week in Acts chapter 19. Um, If you weren't with us last week, that's okay. We'll uh, give you a brief brief recap of what we covered uh, in our passage uh, last week. But, um, you know, it's interesting to to look through the pages of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and even throughout the history of the church of the last 2,000 years. Um, And you'll notice that that God's people during pretty much the history of the world have gone through some ups and downs. (laughs) There have been some good times and some difficult times. There have been times where uh, huge numbers of people have, given their lives over to loving and serving the Lord, and there have been times where it seems that nobody is. Uh, And that's been the case uh, throughout uh, history. Uh, But but even so, God has always been at work. Since God created the heavens and the earth, God has always been at work in this world. Uh, But there's no doubt in the fact that as you look through the pages of Scripture and you look through church history, there are particular times... Uh, in which God has worked in an extraordinary way uh, in a particular place uh, in accordance with his uh, will and purpose. And we often refer to those times as times of uh, revival when God uh, just does a a tremendous work and many people uh, get saved in um, in a sort of a geographical location, you know, all around the same time. And last week we talked a little bit about the Welsh revival Uh, back in 1904, Uh, but we see something of a revival, as it were, taking place in the city of Ephesus uh, in Acts chapter 19. Uh, Ephesus, you may uh, recall, uh, was a city located on the southwest coast of uh, the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It's still there as a city. You can go visit it with all its ruins uh, today. Uh, And Ephesus was a major city, Uh, in the Roman Empire in those days. It was the political capital of the region of Asia Minor. um, And it was really most famous for being a a religious center in the Roman Empire. It was a center of the worship of the emperor. There were temples dedicated to the worship of the Roman emperor in Ephesus. Uh, But most famously, uh, there was the temple of Diana, uh, the goddess of fertility uh, in Greek mythology. The temple was so big and so huge, so magnificent in Ephesus, the temple uh, was one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, And so Ephesus was really uh, a center of pagan worship. Uh, It was full of immorality, Diana being the goddess of fertility. There was a lot of sexual immorality involved in the worship of Diana. It was a city full of superstition, 
uh, full of occultic activity. Uh, Magic spells and the like were famously circulated uh, from Ephesus around the Roman Empire, uh, and those spells that were written on pieces of paper uh, were widely known as the Ephesian letters. Uh, Ephesus had that kind of reputation uh, as being uh, a source of these uh, superstitious, occultish practices. Uh, And so Ephesus was a city that we might consider, from a Christian perspective, as hard ground to evangelize. Uh, They were about as far away uh, from the true and the living God as really any city uh, could be. Uh, Yet, as we saw last week here in Acts chapter 19, we see that God did a quite extraordinary work in the city of Ephesus. Uh, And that work is described very uh, simply and quite profoundly and powerfully in verse 20, uh, in which we read, The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So what was happening in the city of Ephesus? Well, there was a great deal happening. But ultimately, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, what does that mean uh, exactly? Well, very simply, it means that the work of the Lord that was taking place in the city of Ephesus was centered around the word of the Lord. Many people were encountering God through his word, the proclamation of his word there in the city of of Ephesus. And on that, as the word of the Lord was being proclaimed, uh, people were coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. People were growing in their spiritual understanding and in their knowledge of God. They were being transformed by the renewing of their mind. They were beginning to live lives that were honoring to God. They were growing stronger against temptation. They were impacting the people around them with the truth of the gospel. The word of the Lord truly grew mightily and prevailed in the city of Ephesus. Uh, And so as we began uh, looking at this passage, Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 20, uh, last week, we said that there were uh, two things that we see in this passage that happen um, through which the power of the word of God was unleashed, as it were, in the city of Ephesus. True things that resulted in the word of God prevailing there in that city. Uh, The first thing that we see is that the people of God proclaimed the word of God. That's where it all began. That's where it all begins. It begins with the people of God proclaiming the word of God. Uh, And secondly, uh, we see then the spirit of God, as the word of God is proclaimed, the spirit of God accomplishing the work of God there in the city. Uh, And that is precisely what we need today. We need the word of God to be proclaimed uh, and we need the power of the spirit of God to accomplish the purpose of God uh, through his word, both in the church and outside of the church. That is the desperate need of our nation, I believe, today. Uh, And so uh, let us read our passage and then we'll just recap what we looked at last week and get into the very interesting uh, text uh, before us this morning. Uh, But let's just read the whole section. Acts chapter 19, we'll begin in verse 8. And we'll read down to verse 20, although we'll be focusing in on verses 11 through 20 uh, this morning because we covered the first three verses of this section last week. Uh, But I'll begin in verse 8 just so we get the full picture. So Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 8. 
And he, that is the Apostle Paul, went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over all who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds, and also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Father, we thank you for your word uh, this morning. Uh, Lord, we ask uh, by your spirit that you would open our hearts, that you would open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, uh, to see what your word has to say to us, to see clearly. Grant us that spiritual understanding that we need, Lord, in order to grow in the knowledge of you, in order to grow uh, in likeness to Christ. And so, Father, we ask your blessing upon this time. Bless bless your word uh, to each and every one of our hearts. Uh, Lord, that we may be encouraged and strengthened, that we may be challenged and even corrected. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would accomplish the purpose that you have for this time uh, as we give you thanks for your word and ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, And so the first thing that we said that we see here in this passage uh, is the people of God proclaiming the word of God. And we noted, uh, particularly through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, that Paul proclaimed the word not only to the unbelievers, but also to the believers. Uh, Firstly, he proclaimed the word uh, to the unbelievers in the synagogue there in verse uh, is 8 and 9. He went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading uh, concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Uh, And there were a couple of things we pointed out last week about Paul's preaching uh, to those who were unsaved. Firstly, we uh, pointed out what Paul preached. He preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. That is, he preached the truths concerning Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. He declared to the people in the synagogue that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah 
of Israel promised throughout the Old Testament that he came uh, into this world and he died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and this Jesus he is Lord he is Savior and we need to confess our sins and put our faith and trust in him uh, his sacrifice on the cross for our sins uh, in order to be uh, forgiven of our sins and in order to be saved. Uh, And so that message, the essential message of the gospel, repent and believe in Jesus, was the central message uh, of the Apostle Paul and the apostles that we see uh, throughout the book of Acts. And of course, that is the same gospel message that we as the church are tasked with proclaiming to the world today. And so firstly, what did Paul preach to the unsaved? Well, he preached the gospel, everything concerning Jesus. Uh, Secondly, we noticed how he preached, uh, and that is according to verse 8, he preached boldly. He preached boldly. Uh, Now, that literally would translate, he continued preaching boldly. It was continual boldness over throughout the whole time that he was there preaching in Uh, The synagogue. Now, to be bold means to be free, to be open, to be confident, uh, to speak out the truth of the gospel, to speak out the word of God uh, before uh, the world. And this boldness was a hallmark of Paul's preaching. It was a hallmark of the apostles' preaching uh, throughout uh, the book of Acts, even in the face of great opposition, great persecution, great hostility. The apostles never compromised the message. They never watered down the truth. They preached the truth with boldness. Uh, But we also noted last week that this boldness didn't come from within themselves. This boldness, it came from God. Uh, It's not the kind of thing where, you know, well, some people have it and some people don't. You know, well, they were the apostles. It was all right for them, but me... You know, I'm just poor old me. I don't have any boldness. Well, they didn't have any boldness in of themselves either. The apostles knew a couple of things. They knew that they lacked boldness. They knew that they needed boldness. And they knew that that boldness came from God. And so what did they do? We saw in the book of Acts, we see in Paul's letters, what did they do? Well, they prayed for boldness. They asked the Lord to grant them the boldness they needed in order to preach the gospel freely, openly, confidently uh, before men. Uh, And so an important lesson there uh, for all of us. We need to know, first of all, that we lack boldness. For some of us, that's not hard uh, to, to realize that. Uh, But we need to understand that we lack boldness and we need boldness. And that boldness comes from God. And so what do we need to do? Well, just like the apostles did, just like Paul did, we need to pray for boldness. Uh, Acts 4.29, a wonderful prayer. Uh, Lord, uh, look on the threats, the hostility, the opposition uh, that is facing us and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Great prayer for us to pray. The same Holy Spirit that indwelt the apostles, and empowered them to preach the word, even in the face of great opposition, is the same Holy Spirit who dwells in you and I who believe in Jesus and will empower us to do the same as God calls us to do. Uh, And so we see this proclamation of the word of God uh, to the unsaved there in Ephesus, but we also see the proclamation of the word of God uh, to those who believed uh, in verse 9, because you notice that After many hardened their hearts and rejected Paul and basically kicked him out of the synagogue, he withdrew the disciples, uh, no doubt speaking of those who uh, had believed, 
uh, and he reasoned daily there in the school of uh, Tyrannus. And so Paul left the synagogue, found another place to go preach, and he continued on, uh, according to verse 10, for two years. He taught the disciples the word of the Lord for two whole years. Now that tells us something. It tells us two things. It tells us, number one, Paul as an apostle was absolutely committed to the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Absolutely. It tells us the second thing, that the people who believed were absolutely committed uh, to hearing the word of God, to learning the word of God, to growing in the grace and in the knowledge of God, and then to put it into practice and living it out in their lives. Because these uh, people in Ephesus uh, became so effective in ministry that according to the end of verse 10, all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Uh, And Paul never left Ephesus. And so what happened there was Paul preached the word to the believers. The believers received the word and were encouraged and were built up and were strengthened. And they went out Uh, and lived their daily lives wherever they were, in work, in school, or whatever it was, all over the surrounding region, taking with them the word of the Lord that they had received from the Lord through the teaching ministry of the Apostle Paul. Uh, And that, of course, is exactly how it is to work in the church today. Paul made that very clear in his letter later on to the Ephesians, that God has given the church uh, gifted men, leaders, pastors, teachers, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, And so that is a word for all of us today as we come every Sunday and we hear the word and we receive the word and we're blessed and we're encouraged and we're built up. It doesn't end there. We receive it, it comes into us, but then we are to leave this place and it is to work itself out of us uh, in all the places we go, uh, in our street, in our workplace, uh, in our school, in the university or wherever uh, it may be. And so that brings us then to verse 11. And verse 11 says, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Luke just slips that in. And you read that and you think, what? Sounds a bit strange. Probably an understatement. Now, before we get into that, let me just provide some context here. Uh, And the context really is verses 8 through 10. Um, Paul went to Ephesus for one reason and one reason only. He went to proclaim to the people of Ephesus the word of God. That's why he went. He came to preach the gospel to the unsaved, so that they might hear the gospel, believe the truth of the gospel, believe in Jesus and be saved, and then to teach the word to those who were saved so that they might learn and they might grow in the knowledge of God and in the service uh, of God. Uh, And that was the very heart and purpose of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Why? Well, firstly, it's because that was the ministry God called him to. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, uh, speaking to Ananias of Paul, Uh, He said, Paul is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Paul was essentially called by God to go out and proclaim the truth about Jesus, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the word of God. 
That is what God had called Paul to do. And that is precisely what Paul did. Um, in ver- Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul acknowledged this calling. Uh, right at the beginning of the letter to the Romans, he said, uh, introduced himself as Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. In other words, he said, my whole life is given over to the proclamation of the gospel. That is my single purpose in life. That is the one thing that I have been called to, and that is the one thing I am committed to do, proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 6, this is what Paul asked for prayer for. In Ephesians six nineteen through 20, he said, Pray for me, to the Ephesians, that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change and that in it uh, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see, if Paul had one request of the Ephesians, uh, one prayer request as it were, it was that the Lord would grant him the boldness he needed to do what God had called him to do and that was to preach the gospel. And so, That's exactly what he did when he came to Ephesus. It's exactly what he did when he went to any and every city. Uh, And so what follows in verses 11 uh, and 12 uh, must be understood in that context. The context of the priority and really the singularity uh, of the importance of the proclamation of the word of God. Uh, And the reason I just sort of sketch that context uh, for you is because verses like these in uh, verses 11 and 12 are often taken uh, well out of context uh, and are used uh, at best to give people sort of false expectations and at worst to preach total heresy. Uh, And so what we want to do as we uh, look at these things is we want to look at scripture and see if we can uh, uh, look to scripture to help us guide us through Um, what was actually happening here, and then how that sort of relates to uh, the church and the work of God in the world today. And so, uh, Lord, help us uh, to do that um, this morning. And so, uh, so we said that the word of God grew mightily and prevailed in the city of Ephesus, and there were two sort of aspects to that. There was the uh, proclamation of the word of God, and then there was the work of the spirit uh, of God in the city. Uh, And we see the work of the Spirit of God in in Ephesus in two ways, in verses 11 through 19. Uh, We see the work of the Spirit of God uh, through confirmation and through conviction. Two things, confirmation and conviction. Verses 11 through 12, we see the work of the Spirit of God there in the city of Ephesus, uh, and it is a confirming work. So... What on earth is going on in verses 11 and 12? Luke tells us that God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. And so there were people uh, who were coming to Paul and remember Paul was a tent maker and Paul spent... Uh, the early part of his day, uh, making tents. And so he would have his aprons on and he would have his sort of handkerchief, which would like be a sweatband around his head. Uh, And no doubt he went through quite a few of them, so he may well have had a lot of them lying around or whatever. Uh, And for some reason, people thought it 
maybe a good idea to grab one of the aprons or the handkerchiefs and take them to people that were sick, uh, that by laying those handkerchiefs or aprons on the person that, that is sick, that they might be healed. What's even more amazing is that they were healed. And so, how do we explain this? What's going on? Where do we begin? That's a good question. But Verse 11 tells us that God worked unusual miracles. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Miracles, not just miracles, but unusual miracles. That phrase tells us two things. One, that what happened through the hands of the Apostle Paul were indeed miracles. They were demonstrations of divine power. A supernatural work of God intervening in the natural order of things to do something that no natural man or no natural process uh, could do. They were things that were not the normal, everyday experience of men. Uh, And in the New Testament, we normally see these uh, miracles, these demonstrations of the power of God uh, in the healing of the sick, uh, usually those that are uh, demonstrably, clearly uh, sick, those who are lame, those who are blind uh, or whatever, and the healing takes place and they are just miraculously uh, healed, the lame walk, the blind see, and it is obvious and clear uh, to everybody around uh, that that person has been healed by God. Uh, and these things, they, they happened at times throughout the book of Acts. Uh, but here in Ephesus, these were not just miracles, these were unusual miracles. So these were unusual even for the miracles that God would do. They were literally extraordinary Uh, Not ordinary, they were extraordinary, they were special, they were unique. Uh, And so miracles are not sort of like the normal everyday occurrence, otherwise they would be natural phenomena, not supernatural phenomena. Uh, But these things, they were even extraordinary for the miracles that God did do. Uh, And so, what was so unusual about these particular miracles? Um, Well, I I think... Sort of looking at it, I mean, the first question that comes to my mind is, is what on earth gave them the idea to go grab Paul's clothes and to take him to the sick? I mean, why, why did they even think to do that? I mean, would, would you think to do that? Um, and, and I think the answer in the wider context uh, that's given a little bit later is, is the superstitious practices that existed in the city of Ephesus. Um, it seems like a bit of a strange thing to do. Uh, And Paul certainly didn't say, hey, yeah, go and take one of my clothes and uh, go put it on somebody and they'll be uh, healed. Uh, It seems to me like the reason that they did it uh, was uh, because their superstitious cultures told them that, you know, maybe that's something that that there'd be power in this cloth and uh, this cloth might heal uh, the person. Uh, Now, so I don't think the fact that they took the apron and the Uh, their handkerchiefs to the sick was necessarily unusual at all. I think that was probably quite uh, normal in the culture and their way of thinking. Uh, What is highly unusual is that God healed the people whom they took the handkerchiefs to. That was an unusual miracle. An unusual miracle. Miracles themselves are unusual by definition. These were even unusual for the type of miracles that God normally did. They were unusual miracles. 
And so, just backing up a little bit, remember um, uh, here, um, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. What was Paul doing in the city of Ephesus? He was proclaiming the word of God. Paul didn't go to Ephesus to perform miracles. He went to Ephesus to proclaim the word of God. And it was when he proclaimed the word of God, as he was doing what God had called him to do, that according to verse 11, God worked miracles through Paul. Paul didn't do the miracles. Paul never went to Ephesus to do miracles. Paul went to Ephesus to proclaim the word of God. And as Paul proclaimed the word of God, God then at this particular time and in this particular place performed these unusual miracles through the hands of Paul. The next question then is why? Why did God do this? He didn't do it in Athens. Uh, So why did he do it in Ephesus? What was the purpose? It's not the first time that this has happened with Paul. Paul didn't perform miracles all the time. It was only at certain times when God chose to work these miracles through Paul. So why did God choose to work miracles through Paul? Um, Well, Paul himself actually makes a comment on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Because Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 12, to the Corinthians, he said, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Now remember, Paul clearly understood his calling from God was to proclaim the gospel. So how did Paul understand the miracles that God did by his hands from time to time in some cities, not in others? How did Paul understand those miracles? Well, he understood them as signs of an apostle. Why did God work miracles through the hands of Paul? Well, they were signs of his apostleship. That's how Paul understood it. That's how Paul explained it to the Corinthians. They were a sign of his apostleship. Now, what what is an apostle? What was an apostle? Well, the word apostle literally means to to be sent out. To be sent out. Um, And an apostle uh, in the New Testament was one who was commissioned directly by Jesus, uh, having been a witness uh, of his uh, life, ministry, death, and resurrection, uh, to declare his word to the world. Uh, and in the primary sense, there were 12 apostles that God, uh, that Jesus commissioned. And then Paul was added later as one by his own admission out of uh, due time. And he regarded himself as the least of all the apostles, of course, because he persecuted the, the church of uh, God. Uh, and so the apostles then did what Jesus called them to do. They went out and proclaimed the word of God. Uh, and that is why we have a New Testament. That is why uh, the church... Uh, spread, the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire. It's why uh, we are all here today. It's not why, God is why, but it's through uh, that ministry of the apostles, from Jesus through the apostles to the church. Um, Ephesians 2.20 and so on. Uh, So, the miracles here then, according to Paul's own understanding, served a purpose. They served the purpose of authenticating his authority as an apostle. 
Uh, and that's what we see uh, throughout the book of Acts. Uh, and we read again about that in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, which is interesting because we don't know who wrote Hebrews. And there's a lot of, lot of speculations. I mean, I, I tend to think, and I'm not going to say anything to back this up whatsoever, um, but, but it may have been written by Luke, uh, taking his teaching from the Apostle Paul. So I, I think the Apostle Paul is the source of the information in Hebrews, although the linguistics indicate that he probably didn't write it himself. Anyway, you can uh, be interested in that or not interested in that, and that's fine. Uh, anyway, it's the inspired word of God, which is what we need to know. Anyway, this is what the writer to the Hebrews says. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. Okay, so, so the salvation, right? Salvation, we are saved through uh, the gospel. It's the gospel that's the power of God into salvation to those who believe, okay? So the gospel truly uh, at first began to be spoken by the Lord Jesus. Okay, Jesus came, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, Jesus then fulfilled the gospel through his death, uh, burial, and resurrection uh, on the cross. Uh, and then he says, uh, well, let me actually I'll just rambled on a little bit there so let me read the verse again how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at first began to be spoken by the lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him uh, a reference there to the apostles who were the witnesses of his life death resurrection those who uh, in the upper room uh, were taught by jesus uh, and were promised that the holy spirit would empower them and bring to remembrance all the things that jesus had uh, told them so that they could then take that and proclaim it to the world, which is why we have a New Testament. Um, and then he says, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So there's a couple of things. These things all happen in accordance with the will of God, not my will. I cannot coax God into doing anything. It is God's will that we are to seek in this world, not my will. It is God's will. It is according to the will of God. When we get into our study in the gifts of the Spirit in a few weeks' time, we will see that the gifts of the Spirit are given according uh, to the will of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit wills. And that's a, a sort of important point. But anyway, but the point here in Hebrews chapter 2 is that the miracles, the signs, wonders, and miracles bore witness to the ministry uh, of the apostles who proclaimed the word of God. Uh, and so that is the essential uh, purpose that God had in working through the Apostle Paul in this way. Uh, God used these miracles as a means of authenticating uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul, declaring un, uh, unequivocally uh, before the people that the message that Paul preached was absolutely from God, as the word of God and the spirit of God uh, came together to do these uh, miraculous uh, things. And so, uh, with that being said, now, this is touching, I know, on a lot of other things, and there'll be many of you that have probably got 101 things running through your minds and a lot of questions and uh, about, about all of this. And at the moment, I'm just trying to keep things in context, and we're just trying to look allow scripture to interpret scripture uh, and just see what is actually happening here in this passage. Um, uh, we'll sort of expand it out in a little bit, but notice um, 
couple of summary points here. First of all, um, this is uh, clearly an undeniable work of God. Luke says very straightforwardly, it was God who worked uh, these miracles through the hands of Paul. And I say that because there are many people who would read this and just think, well, the Bible's obviously nonsense, isn't it? Because that's just ridiculous. I mean, that doesn't happen. The Bible's nonsense. Uh, and I was always told once, if you can believe the truth of Genesis 1 verse 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you should have no problem believing anything else in the rest of the Bible. So if you can believe the very first verse, you should have no problem believing everything else. Because if God is the God who created the heavens and the earth, then he's certainly a God who can heal the sick and deliver people from demonic oppression. No problem at all. Okay? So this is a real undeniable work of God. Uh, Secondly, and I think we've already made this point, but the, 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 the handkerchief thing was an unusual thing. An unusual thing. It's not normal. And so we shouldn't dismiss this as a work of God because it's completely unusual. Uh, But at the same time, uh, Luke writing here is not saying, okay, everyone get your handkerchiefs and take them to the sick and your handkerchiefs will heal the sick. Uh, That's not the point here uh, at all. And, um, and, And we actually see that happening. Uh, in certain circles, and if you ever what turned on uh, the TV and uh, Christian TV, you'll often see people with a handkerchief, and and they'll say, you know, send in your money, and I'll send you the handkerchief, and through the handkerchief you'll be healed. Um, now, um, I'll go back to the point that I think the reason they actually took the handkerchiefs was out not out of faith in God per se, or out of obedience to His word, but out of their own superstitious understanding of things. So, so this, is not a, this is not a practice for us to follow here. Uh, this is not something that, you know, um, and, and it's kind of ironic that, that people do this on TV because really this, this idea, I think, originated in, in occultic practice. What is the crazy thing is that God still actually healed um, in an unusual way to demonstrate his power. Uh, and so, but I don't think this is a practice uh, for us to follow uh, at all um, today. Um, so, but, but that in no way means that God does not work, even miraculously today. Uh, God is God, and he can and will do uh, what he wants, when he wants, and through whom he wants. Uh, and so, so here's a principle for you uh, here. Um, we receive whatever is proven to be by the hand of God. But we only pursue that which Scripture tells us to pursue. We receive whatever is proven to be by the hand of God, but we pursue only that which Scripture clearly commands us to pursue. And I say that because oftentimes, you know, pe- people will say, oh, well, 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 God did this, you know, amazing miracle. And some people make all sorts of claims, and oftentimes it's completely unverifiable. And you think, well, did, did, did God really do something there? Or, you know, did, was it just sort of like a natural thing? Or, you know, was it worse than that? Was there some kind of demonic involvement? I mean, so sometimes you just don't know. Um, sometimes we do know very clearly one way or the other. Uh, oftentimes there's a lot of, 
uh, claims out there that are based on emotionalism and hype and fan, you know, and whipping up a frenzy and all these kinds of things. Um, but there are some times where we, we maybe uh, don't know, and, and we don't have to know everything, and we don't have to be able to explain everything. Um, sometimes God does things, and I just don't understand, and I'm okay with that. That's fine. But a couple of pointers here to help us navigate uh, these things, because oftentimes there are, there are a lot of claims of kind of miracles and, and these kinds of things, sometimes coming out of churches, sometimes claims of revival and those kinds of things. And, um, and, and I, I don't want to discount a true work of God, but at the same time, we don't want to be led astray by what is not a true word of, uh, work of God. And so we need to be careful and we need to be discerning. And so um, three, three points to help us here uh, discern uh, what is true from what is not. The first thing I would say, and this has been the, the basic point of our whole time, um, is the true word of God being proclaimed? Um, is what is happening in accordance with the word of God? That's the fundamental starting point. First uh, John 4 verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we need to understand that. There are false prophets out there in the world, people who invoke the name of Jesus, people who say they are speaking for Jesus, people who say that they're Christians, and people who make claims of great spiritual happenings and spiritual occurrences. The word of the Lord to us in those occasions is to test the spirits. Don't blindly follow anybody. Test the spirits. We have to be discerning and we test everything by the revealed word of God. And if it is contrary to the word of God, and if it is not consistent with the word of God, then we must reject it, whatever it is. And if the true word of God is not being proclaimed, if these so-called miracles are taking place alongside a false gospel, we must reject it. Very serious, very important. The spiritual realm, as we'll see in the next section, is very real. And God works miracles in this world, absolutely. We don't want to discount or reject a true work of God. But at the same time, we need to be discerning. And I believe the word of God has given us the ability, together with the spirit of God, to be able to discern what is of God and what is of not. And we have to be very careful that we're not led astray by false prophets preaching a false gospel uh, working miracles which at best are false, at worst are demonic. And so we have to be careful. So the first principle, I mean, is the true word of God being proclaimed? Is what has happened consistent with the word of God? So important. Secondly, is the name of Jesus being magnified? Is the name of Jesus being magnified? Jesus said the Holy Spirit... When he comes, he will testify of me, Jesus said. He won't testify of himself. He will testify of Jesus, and he will glorify Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right fundamentally, is to point people to Jesus. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the center. And so if Jesus is not the center, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, to make Jesus the center, 
if the focus is an obsession with the supernatural, an obsession uh, with miracles, even an obsession with the Holy Spirit himself, then there's something not right. And that's not to say we mustn't um, know and understand the true ministry of the Holy Spirit as revealed in Scripture. Absolutely, that's vitally important. Vitally important. That's one of the reasons why we'll be doing a whole series on the the gifts of the Spirit uh, coming up uh, soon. But the Holy Spirit's ministry is to point people to Jesus. And there are many people out there whose focus in pursuing is pursuing the miraculous. Pursue Jesus. If God wants to work miracles, he will work miracles. But you pursue Jesus. The Apostle Paul was called to proclaim the word of God. If God wanted to do miracles through Paul, he would do miracles. But Paul wasn't seeking the miracles, he was seeking to proclaim the word of God. And so it's the same for us. Pursue Jesus. Pursue obedience to his word. Do what God has called you to do. And if God wants to work in that way, to, to do whatever he wants to do, to accomplish his will through your ministry, then God will do that. But seek Jesus first. Pursue obedience to the word of God. Uh, and then God will provide whatever it is that you need to accomplish the ministry that he has called you uh, to. Uh, And so is the name of Jesus being magnified? Second point. Third point, is true spiritual fruit being produced in the life of the person or people? Uh, Someone once said that it's not about how high you bounce, but it's about how straight you walk. Think about that. It's okay to bounce high. We have these good experiences, amazing experiences of the Lord. Wonderful, praise God for that. But if, it, if that experience results in no spiritual change in your life, no spiritual fruit, if it does not result in a, a growing in holiness, a growing in love for Christ, a growing in witness, a, a growing in uh, ministry, then there's something not right. The work of the Spirit in a person's life produces the fruit of the Spirit. And so, is it in accord with the Word of God? Is the name of Jesus being magnified? Is true spiritual fruit being produced in the life of the people or the lives of the people uh, that are responding to uh, that teaching? And if we remember those three principles, those three things, then uh, we'll be able to walk straight. And maybe God will grant us the blessing of bouncing high from time to time. But he calls us to walk straight. Uh, And so, gosh, wow. Come on, let's just try and finish here. Verse 13. So, if anyone has any questions, you can talk to me afterwards. Just don't shoot me, okay? Because I know these things get a little controversial, so... Um, um, if you want to reason with me from the scriptures please do wonderful thing Um, so uh, where are we verse 13 Uh, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches and there were also seven sons of Siva a Jewish priest who did so Uh, and the evil spirit answered and said Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on uh, 
the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, we said the first uh, uh, sort of work of the Holy Spirit here was in confirming uh, the, the, the proclamation of the word of God preached by the Apostle Paul. The second way in which we see the work of the Holy Spirit here is in the work, ministry of conviction in the hearts of the people. And that work of convictions begins with this uh, interesting episode uh, here as the false prophets fail to exercise authority over the demon indwelling this person. Now, again, this is another kind of interesting, strange, slightly weird uh, thing that we see here. Um, and so there were these Jewish magicians who were seeing God working through Paul and thinking, oh, I want some of that. Uh, and so they thought, well, you know, Jesus is, in, Paul's invoking the name of Jesus here. So maybe if we invoke the name of Jesus, we can have the same power that Paul had. Now, remember, this is a superstitious culture. They're into their, they, they, they're just viewing Paul as just some other magician who's got this power that they don't have. And they wanted this power, a bit like Simon the Sorcerer back in Acts chapter 8, who offered money for it. Um, and they just wanted to use it for their own ends. Uh, and so... So what did they do? Well, they tried to invoke the name of Jesus. Uh, and, you, you, I mean, you've got to acknowledge the humor here. Uh, the, the demon speaks and says, well, I know about Jesus and I know about Paul, but who on earth are you? It's like the funniest thing a demon has ever said, I think. But now, here, the spiritual realm is real. It's the first thing to say. The spiritual realm is real. A lot of people will dismiss you know, oh yeah, it's just sort of superstitious nonsense and, uh, and, and all of that. But the spiritual realm is real. Demons are real. Satan is real. And they are active in this world and they are around us, although we can't see them. They are very real and they are there. The Bible teaches that. That is very clear. Uh, and a lot of people dismiss it. Um, there's a, a line that was, um, I think, originally written by a couple of philosophers that was picked up and made famous by a, by a, a film uh, a few years ago. Uh, which expresses a truth, um, saying that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world he doesn't exist. Uh, there are many people who are like that, just dismiss the spiritual eye. Ah, it's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. Well, Satan doesn't have to do anything more. Job done. But the Bible tells us there is a spiritual realm where spiritual beings exist and are active. There are angelic beings, spiritual beings. There are good angels, there are bad angels, demons, good angels, servants of God, messengers of God, uh, fallen angels, uh, messengers of Satan, doing the work of Satan in this world. And they're very real. And sometimes a demon can possess a person, completely overwhelm them uh, in the sense of their personality and their will and exercise, exercise control over them. Um, a demon cannot do that to a believer who is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and, I, and I do believe as well that um, that happens to people who open themselves up to the demonic uh, and things, which is why the scripture is very clear to warn us uh, against sort of seeking those kinds of things. Uh, it's very, very, uh, very serious and very uh, important. Um, there is something known as the spiritualist church. Uh, whatever it is, it isn't the church, at least in any biblical sense. And they perform very dangerous practices and something we should never, ever go near, ever. Very serious. 
uh, but demonic possession, it wasn't uncommon in that time. It's not uncommon in cultures that uh, practice occultish things. Uh, it's not common so much in our culture. You don't see it too often, uh, if at all. Uh, but you go to some places in the world where superstition and, and witchcraft and all those things are, are practiced habitually, uh, and you will see this thing um, quite a lot. And that was a similar situation to what it was in Ephesus. Um, anyhow, these people, they tried to cast out the demon in the name of Jesus, and they couldn't. And why couldn't they? Well, because it's Jesus who does it. It's not them. And they had no connection to Jesus. They were not God's people. They were not God's people. They had no connection and no authority to invoke the name of Jesus over this demon. And so what happened? Basically, the demon laughed in their face, overpowered them, uh, beat them up, and they fled naked uh, and ashamed. Uh, And so, in other words, only Jesus Christ has the power over demons. Only Jesus. And so, they couldn't do it. They failed. So, we must move on and finish because this then was seen by everybody uh, and it became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, verse 17. Fear, fear fell on them all and notice the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds and also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. These magic spells traded for big money. 50,000 pieces of silver, it's estimated, was equivalent of millions of pounds. A lot of money. This was a major industry. It is a major industry today. This was a major industry. But notice here, notice here what happens, okay? Remember we said three things, three tests of something, okay? It's in accordance with the word of God. Is the name of Jesus magnified? Is there fruit in the lives of the people? We see all those three things in this passage, don't we? Paul is proclaiming the word of God. The name of Jesus, verse verse 17, was magnified. Verse 18 and 19, it bore the fruit of repentance in the lives of the people. In accordance with the word of God, the name of Jesus was magnified. It brought about the spiritual fruit of repentance in the hearts of and the lives of the people. Uh, And so, Luke concludes, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Where the false prophets couldn't succeed, the word of the Lord prevailed. Where false teaching couldn't succeed, the word of the Lord prevailed. The word of the Lord prevailed over all those things, over the spiritual realm, uh, over the false teaching, over the whole thing. The word of the Lord grew mighty and prevailed. Now, closing thought here, just on these people. They brought all their magic books, all the little superstitious things that they had, and they recognized that all of that stuff was completely opposed to the things of God. And so what did they do? They got rid of it. They burnt it. They didn't sell it. They didn't flog it off to the highest bidder, they they got rid of it. They made a clean break. They cut it off. They renounced all that stuff for the sake of following Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, 
He needs to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If we are to deny ourselves, that means in order to follow Jesus, we must renounce things in this life. Those things could be sin, indeed. And if there is sin, it needs to be confessed, acknowledged, confessed, forgiveness received, and forsaken. But there are also things in our lives that we do that are kind of weights that hold us back from accomplishing the purpose that God has for us. And there are some times when God will call us to renounce those things, to lay them aside, to cast them off. Not because they're wrong in themselves, but because they are getting in the way of us doing what God wants us to do. And God wants to free us up from those things, to enable us to serve him fully, wholeheartedly in what he has called us to. This is not something that is to do, unless it's, of course, to do with sin, but it's not about becoming more holy or righteous as such, but it's about being free to serve the Lord. And God's not saying, you know, I just want to spoil your fun, so I just want you to give up the football. You know, I just know how to, you know, just know how to push your buttons. But what things in our lives are more important to us than they should be? What things in our lives does God want us to give up so we can be free to do what he has called us to do? Something that's challenging. It's challenging to all of us. Maybe it's something we can all examine our hearts and seek the Lord on. Uh, And so, in conclusion, we see then, this is an extraordinary work of God in the city of Ephesus. Uh, And of course, as with any good extraordinary work of God, what happens after this? Well, there's a massive riot. Okay, and we'll see that uh, next time uh, in, in the book of Acts. But the word of the Lord was proclaimed, the Holy Spirit accomplished the work of God, and the result was people were saved. They were growing in their spiritual understanding. They were transformed by the renewing of their mind. They were living lives for God. They were growing stronger against temptation. They were impacting those uh, who were around them. And boy, do we need the word of the Lord to grow mightily and prevail in our city and our nation today. And if that is going to happen, God's people must be proclaiming God's word. And we must be calling upon God uh, in prayer for the spirit of God to work mightily uh, in our city, in our nation. The word of the God and the spirit of God together accomplishing the work of God. That is what we need today. So let's pray. Father, let, we thank you for your word to us. We, uh, Lord, even though we've, we've covered some things that are maybe quite difficult, uh, uh, Lord, to, to think about, I just pray, Lord, you would just help us uh, by your spirit to, to come to a place of understanding. Uh, Lord, help us, uh, Lord, to be renewed in our commitment to your word. Uh, and to obedience to your word. Uh, Lord, grant us the discernment that we need in these days in which many people are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that blows uh, all over the place. Lord, help us to stay the course. Help us to walk straight in the life that you have called us to live so that we may be truly effective, so that we may, Lord, bear fruit that is worthy of, of the work of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives, and that we may be witnesses uh, to this world 
And all of this, Lord, we pray, not in our own strength or in our own ability, but with the power that you supply through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen and enable us to do these things. We commit this all to you now, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.